Hi, this is Christina Barcy, your host, and we have come to the end of another season of Be Bold Begin, but that does not mean that I don't have more for you. We are technically on a small break for the holidays, but we still want to be there for you during a time of the year that can sometimes be more difficult than it is joyous. That is the holidays. If you're struggling with anything right now, especially an addiction, which for some reason still has a taboo associated with it. And the extra layer of what this year has been and still is, and the extra challenges it provides during this time of year, then this conversation was created for you, the one I'm about to re-release. I decided to reshare an episode that featured an amazing artist, singer-songwriter, Kyle East, who has the very important message that you are not alone as well as her own behavioral addiction journey to share with you. Even if you don't listen to this interview, there are resources in the show notes for you. You can click on those and it will take you to places that can help. And if you love music and the healing powers it can have, definitely listen until the end of this episode to hear Kyle East's single, Chains, which is all about her experience with what she has named Ed, the name she has given the personified version of her eating disorder. The vulnerability and generosity in the storytelling Kyle gives us in this episode is so wonderful and is something you have to hear for yourself. And extra bonus happening in a couple of days, we are just checking up on her. She has another new single out called Firing Squad, which I love. And we're going to check in with how she's doing with her own process creatively and with her process in her own addiction and any message she will have to share with you. So without further ado, episode 28, Kyle East, singer-songwriter, an artist's journey with an eating disorder. I, I always remember when I, when I was really, really, really in, in deep with my eating disorder, I remember, first of all, thinking that it was impossible. I was never going to, there's, uh, there was, I've tried so hard to get out of this. I tried so hard. I tried uh, what I thought was everything and I could still not get better. And it's, you know, that place happens for many, many sufferers. I see you. You are not alone. You, you are never, ever, ever alone in this, no matter how deep and dark and hopeless it feels. Hey, welcome back to Be Bold Begin, the podcast designed to help you find your purpose and unblock the blocks with creative tools and tips. And today we have a really special episode that features a very special guest that talks with me about a difficult and important topic. I recently did a couple of episodes on the topic of comparison, which is coming up for people right now in different ways, especially in the current climate as we are all trying to cope with this global pandemic. So to go even deeper into how triggers might be affecting us right now, I wanted to open up the conversation to specifically include those of you who might be struggling with an addiction or are in a recovery process which I believe brings an extra layer to managing and coping during quarantine. So I decided to bring on a guest and she will share her personal experience with you about her journey with having an eating disorder. She is Kyle East, a powerful singer-songwriter who just released her new single, Chains. 
shackles worn, skin and bone, life sentence in this cage with a beast inside. Who is left untied? Whose hands are soothing as they sting with this voice and lies? Is it his or mine? Stay tuned to the end of this episode to be able to listen to the whole song in its entirety. And of course, all the info is in the show notes to watch the music video or download the song on Spotify. And a recent review of the song by All Ashore explains the theme really well. Kyle East tackles body dysmorphia and anorexia in another industrial synth-laden gut punch. Her words begin as hushed lamentations before leaping into a full rage against the commodification of self, spitting such condemnations as, here she is, your worthless wonder. With as much contempt as empathy, it lays bare the horrors of feeling ashamed of your own body while still attempting to talk yourself out of a hole. Her delivery is drenched with conviction and the drive of someone who has personal experience with the words they sing. If Kyle East aimed for a body image anthem, she has absolutely succeeded. And if you want to read the whole article, you can click on the link in the show notes for that as well. But with no further ado, here is Kyle East. Hi, welcome back. And today we have an amazing guest with us. Her name is Kyle East. Kyle, I'm so happy to have you here with us today. I am really, truly honored, excited to just have a conversation with you. <laughs> I just absolutely love talking to you. And I just appreciate the opportunity to just be on here. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. And ditto, this is sort of self-serving in a sense, because I just love you. And it's a weird opportunity to just get on the phone with you, basically. But there's definitely more to talk about than that. But on that note, I will say it's hard to avoid the fact that Kyle and I go back quite a bit. We used to bartend together. That's where the magic started. And <laughs> we we also had our, a third bartend friend that remained part of part of the group, Katie. Shout out to Katie. Shout, Shout out, Katie. friend. And <laughs> we, I mean, we used to call ourselves the dream team. So we, we rate, like we were in the trenches together. We worked really well as a team. I was surprised we survived all those years together. We did. Um, Barcy's face, I also have to say this, like, publicly, like, it, like, Barcy's face pretty much made us all the money. Stop. Like, of any, no, it's, it's your face. Um, I I was very happy to just be behind there while it was just, like, just shove you in front being like, this lady is real. Talk to her for a second. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) You don't want to cover that topic for long? Thank you, friend. I I love you. It's just going to be us complimenting each other for... It's going to... It's just going to be that. So enjoy. No. um, (laughs) We we even got tattoos last year that the three of us in what I felt was an act of solidarity. So that just shows you how how tight those bartending dream team years as a foundation served us. (laughs) Great. That being said, Kyle, I'm going to formally introduce you now and we're going to jump into a topic that I know is very near and dear to your heart. Also very, very important. And I'm, I know it's going to help a lot of people who might be struggling with this or might know someone who is, and we'll get into that in a moment. But first Kyle East, 
is a Los Angeles-based alternative rock performance artist whose mission through her project is to heal. She creates from a place of vulnerability and passion, giving permission for others to touch the darkness inside willingly and unafraid. That is beautifully written, first of all, I want to say, and it's a really beautiful mission. And today we're actually recording this episode on the day that you released the single that is exactly what we're talking about today, and it's called Chains. And we're going to put a link in the show notes for you to so that you can have it, so you can get it and find Kyle. But we're also going to play the whole song at the end of this podcast, so definitely stick around and listen to the end. Don't skip ahead because you're going to miss all the good stuff, but... You definitely want to stick around to the end because you're going to get to hear the whole song because Kyle was, Kyle East was very generous and let me have the file so we can put it up for you here, which is really special. So I actually caught a little snippet of the music video this morning that you posted on your Instagram and it's, it's pretty, it's kind of dark and it's also deep and I'm, and you just talked about that being part of your mission. So I, I do want to de- dive into that and have you expand a little on on why darkness and healing is at the center of, of your process and your mission. Thank you. I'm just very honored to have survived this long to do this piece. It was always something that I have been trying to create. So I'm just today, especially, I just feel very grateful to be at this place um, where I can speak about it. Darkness and healing have been very, have kind of gone hand in hand with me. I felt really alone because when my healing was not very sunshine and pastel colors and, and rainbows and butterflies. And it really, I I never felt in that world of, of healing. I felt like the times that I was able to heal was, was by really diving into darkness and diving into this this place that was, for lack of a better word, just heavy and raw. And I think for for me allowing myself to kind of go there and take a look around, I think for a long time I was fighting that because it is it is such a it's a place you don't want to be in for for very long. But I think as I have grown older and had more experiences in life, I think I've kind of just acquiesce to the fact that that is so much a huge part of who I am and a huge part of what moves me. The The way I kind of dealt with my own emotions when I couldn't recognize them, especially when I was younger, was by diving into these artists who were considered very dark and very raw. Fiona Apple, Alanis Morissette, Nine Inch Nails, um, Marilyn Manson, just these artists that had that were not afraid to really feel. And I remember hearing, you know, Alanis Morissette was the first CD I ever bought. And I just remember her opening up a whole world to me. And she allowed me to enter her world and feel all of these things that I didn't know that I was feeling. But by somebody else expressing that, I opened these parts up of myself. And What I found is that, at least for my own healing, diving into these parts and being kind of unafraid to look in is, has opened up things for me that I would have never, ever, ever gotten to the point I am today with, without going there. 
So for me, darkness, vulnerability, just raw emotion is very messy to me. It's very angry. Um, it's very emotional. It's unpredictable. And by diving into those things, I have healed. So I, and I didn't see a lot of, I, I was always really hungry for artists that were not going to kind of paint this picture of, of something that, that I wasn't feeling because I couldn't relate to like the very happy, sunshiny, everything is going to be all right. All of that didn't really heal me as much as this other part. So I think I've been kind of fighting that for a long time, but now I think I've fully embraced, you know, you can go into the darkness. You do not have to relinquish yourself to it. It can actually teach you things mm -hmm. and it, you don't need to be afraid of it. I think we break things up into good and bad a lot of the times. Uh, and I, I, you know, especially just in my healing process now, I think that those labels are, are, are more dangerous than they are helpful. There's always a lot of gray area to this, gray area to life, gray area to things. So I think that by us embracing these two parts of ourselves, we can actually get a better sense of who we are and what we're trying to fight against. Wow, that is really well put. And also you said so many things there that I have questions about. One, one is more of an observation is hearing you talk about music and that being sort of a point, a first point of connection that you, that you discovered outside of yourself, but really it was a way for it to point back at yourself and realize mm -hmm. that you are seeing parts of you that maybe you'd compartmentalized or wasn't noticing or wanting to deal with. So Kyle, can you tell me what your new single Chains is about? Sure. The piece for me was a piece to reach out and say, I see you to anybody that's had a behavioral addiction, addiction, or something that has, has felt like it has controlled them inside their mind. So for me, it really is a testimonial piece about the imagery and the feeling of being in that prison in your own mind. Wow, that's amazing. And okay, so I feel like you did a really good job conveying all of that, obviously in the song itself, but also in the music video. Do you want to take us through the inspiration for that and how you came up with that, the, the visuals to go along with it? Well, thank you, first of all, for the kudos. That's, that's very sweet. Thank you. It's just true. Um, thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so the the music video, I I had done an exercise pretty, when I first went to partial hospitalization of associating the eating disorder with a voice, a name, an image. And I know that that to me was a huge movement forward in my recovery because it allowed me to to kind of understand this the disorder a bit more and understand the power that it had over me and how and how that felt and it was it allowed me to take my strength back so i wanted to show a day in the life of what that felt like about what it was like waking up and looking at a calendar and knowing that you've got an entire day to get through. And that can be a very sinking feeling. This cycle has continued and you've got to do the battle 
all over again. It was such a weight. And I, 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 that's why I wanted to take the viewer along for the ride of a day. What, what it would look like for a day in my experience of how the days went. So after waking up, looking in the mirror and immediately being judged, criticized by Ed and doing the rituals that he tells you to do and that your disorder tells you to do. I'm going to stop you quickly because you referred to it as Ed and you mean Ed as in the eating disorder, right? Yes. So his, his name, Ed, really does stand for eating disorder. I'm glad you pointed that out. And the exercise back in partial hospitalization did call on us for it to us to name it something. So mm. my eating disorder is called Ed. I do think of it like this kind of demonic creature. Yes, I can see very clearly what he looks like. It he looks very very much like he does in the music video and so that's my that's the way that's how he's always looked. Yeah, so um, I, I encourage everyone to to watch the music video in addition to listening to the song at the end of this episode definitely go watch the video as well and it's on youtube is that where they get it it is yes it's on youtube if you go to kyle east music it should be it should be the top video on there thank you can you tell me what you know you, you talked about over time and obviously things change as we get older but was there a moment where you start where you was there a moment you can like point back at that you really noticed a change when things or when things started to allow you to reflect inward a little bit more and go to that darker place? Uh, I really think it was with Jagged Little Pill album. Honestly, it was the first time that I'd ever heard of a woman so angry. And I just remember glued to the floor, just listening to that over and over and over again. And I remember it sent me to a place where I... Um, it felt like home and it felt like a completely new world. And I had no idea that somebody else was as angry as I felt. And it was so comforting. It, w- it was just so, so comforting. And I also remember my, my mother hearing it and being like, what the fuck are you? She didn't say fuck, but like, what are you listening to? Like, this woman is so angry. She's saying bitch. Like... And, and I remember feeling like, oh, is this not a, is, is this not a good thing? Do I have to hide this? And so I did. I listened to a lot of albums without, uh, without her knowing. And I had friends that were very much into like a system of a down and, and artists that were, that were really, really kind of opening me at least my, my world and my perspective to, to this whole other area of expression. And I think that's why I started to dabble into the arts, in particular performance, because you're given full permission to to go there and you're applauded for it. You're, you know, it's... A, Literally, yeah. Yeah, you are. And it's so basically, it's, you know, you can go crazy and it's okay. Somebody, like, it's, it's a space where it's like, it's fine, you be your crazy-ass self and... You discover even crazier places, and this is all in a safe environment. And I remember that being very, very comfortable because I was not dealing with my own, my own stuff, and I was really pouring it into, you know, let me, 
let me try to live through all these other experiences and these other people. And it worked for a while. <laughs> uh, it worked for a long time. And we're talking um, specifically as an actress, right? Yeah. And musical theater. I was really drawn to musical theater. And now I realize it was always the music. It was always the the emotion that that really encapsulated and the expression. And that was what I was drawn to. I am an empathetic person, as are many, many artists. And I like to be able to kind of feel those things was really, really kind of healing for me because I had a major problem with feeling people uh, like in real life and not being able to get that energy out anywhere, if that makes sense. Completely. For me, yeah. especially because my background is also from the theater and acting. And that was my, my first really diligent craft and art that I mm. poured my self into for many years and uh everything you're saying was exactly the process I went through regarding sort of vicariously living through others emotions these characters mm -hmm. and it took me a long time actually space from the art itself for me to even realize that I wasn't I really at the end of the day I really wasn't being my best actor self because I wasn't bringing myself into it as much as I could have but I want to mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what the darkness is specifically for you and what it was, and I'm sure it's lots of things, but I know there was, well, how, just tell me what it was for you and we can go from there. So it was many, many things. There was, there was trauma I, I had and now, you know, and I never considered it trauma, but now looking back, it's like, oh yeah, that was, I had. I had several traumatic situations happen in my childhood and in my teens, in my college years, and I had never really kind of recognized or dealt with that. I I just survived and just didn't think about it. Those those traumas, as they are so sneaky, and they usually do, bubble up, and they create, like, on more superficial levels, this kind of, ex these little mini explosions that are just like, I have no idea what is happening. I don't know why I'm reacting like this. I don't know what I'm feeling or why I'm feeling this. And so I I was able to get that out, honestly, through a, a lot of the craft. Again, it was applauded and it was, you know, how deep and how you know, and how dark can you go and how much can you emote and how can you take your painful experiences and use this? And I think that those years were very, they were, they were hard years because I was letting all this out, but I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't getting anything back from it. I wasn't, nobody was kind of helping me along that journey to recognize that like why I had these feelings and and what was happening. And I really didn't have a support system that was in place to hold me, for lack of a better sense. I never really had that kind of solid foundation. Not to say that I didn't have very many friends who were absolutely incredible in those years and fully saved my life. But I really didn't have that core foundation, which ever I really truly feel everybody everybody needs in in that sense. And I personally just wasn't a person who could do it alone. So through those years, things started to really manifest. And all of my traumatic situations had just kind of started to to 
eat away at me. And I, I had other life things that got really thrown in there that warped my, that turned my world upside down. And, and I was in a really, really lonely, confused, feeling out of control place. And when that happens and, and all those things are kind of in place, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty easy breeding ground for, for something to pop up, for some kind of coping mechanism to pop up. I also had a situation that I do want to mention because, because uh, the more I talk to people, this tends to happen as well. So I just want to kind of shed light on it. I had a health condition where I couldn't, I couldn't really eat without having a lot of pain. There was an underlying thing going on there, but um, can you describe? What, what that means for you? Yeah, sure. I had, I had, well, now it's diagnosed as IBS, but when I was, when I had it, when I was, you know, 12, they didn't know what was going on. So it was years of, I could maybe have, you know, one meal a day, but I couldn't have anything else because I was in so much pain, just like cramping and, and feeling nauseous. And I had terrible migraines and it was, wow. it was just bad. And it was, really annoying because they couldn't figure out what it was. Now there's luckily a lot of, I mean, there's, there's a lot more things. It's a lot more, you know, a lot more well-known and I have my stuff kind of under control now. A lot of that also had to do with like stress in my environment and stress going on in my brain and all this stuff going on in my life. So, and I didn't really recognize that at the time. I do say the stomach is the second brain. Yeah, they do. that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, they do. I remember. Yeah, I remember that. It's very true. Uh, Not to take away from the, the fact that you actually had a condition. No, I just but want to I, say that for the listener. Oh yes, no. Like your body and your brain are so, so, so attached, and it's a wonderful thing because you get feedback, and it's a nice opportunity, like to really kind of understand and listen to your body. But I remember at those years, I was so detached from my body. I didn't want to be in my body. Um, it was painful. So I never, in those really important years, like I never really made that body connection with myself. And I had a, a ton of other messages thrown as so many young, young people do. And men, women, it doesn't matter. You have a bunch of society telling you, you know, these are your beauty standards. And, you know, you're in that age where you can't really, really reason with any of that. So not to get ahead of myself... But so in, in college, I still had this thing going on. And well, when I, did it start for you? So I think that... We're mm -hmm. talking about the IBS? Or are you talking about... Oh, so the IBS started at, you know, age 12, 13. And, you know, I got through those years. I was a, like, I was a healthy weight. And when I got to college, I I would just pretty much, I would binge on weekends to try to, because I was so hungry. And then through the week, I'd just like not eat because I was in pain. But during that time, something clicked. So, and it, and it turned from, you know, I'm, uh, I'm doing this because I'm uncomfortable to, I'm getting feedback now from you look good. And that was great. But I remember that it was more of the behavior that was feeding me that it was just kind of getting to this not thinking place. And it really is, for me, it was always about control. The behavior, um, meaning you practicing binging or? Yeah, so me practicing like binging and restricting. 
So that and became a place of comfort. Yeah, it really, it really, really did. I felt like I had it, you know, I remember not, I remember it just being part of my life and I wasn't really thinking about it. But now when I go, when I think back to it, knowing what I know now, it was, you know, I was, I was really trying to have something that I could control. And it was just something that I felt that I was strong enough to do. And that's, I think, the danger that I fell into. And this happened over a period of time. This didn't happen, you know, over, at least in my experience, it didn't happen, well, in my experience. It didn't happen overnight. This was years forming. So I'm going to take you through that just a little bit, just so that we all understand. So you were having issues physically hurting and pain from the IBS around age 12, 13, and then was basically hungry and would binge around that same time or did that happen after and how long did it take for you to kind of fall into that can that sort of mindset of this is a way to help control my life sure so that was around 12 13 that's when I started to restrict during the week and just binge out on weekends and then as I went to college, I, I did the same behavior, just a little bit more extreme. So what and, happened between 13 to 18? Because there's there's a lot of years there we're jumping over. Yeah. So I had, I had some traumatic things happen in my life during that time. And I also had a family situation that was incredibly hard to deal with. And I didn't have anyone to turn to and like ask, you know, is this normal or is this like, is this, this feels weird to me. Does it feel weird to you? So I didn't have that kind of meaning the things that were happening. Yeah. And, and so as, as I was trying to cope with all of that and going to college that, that again, I had some traumatic things happen in college I had some more um, family things that were going on that were really deeply just completely rocked my world. And my mother needed, she she didn't need, I should say, I I took it on to try to take care of her, which I found out later is a common trait to have a, a deep attachment to a mother figure or eating disorders in particular. So, yeah, so that's eventually... What happened was it did become something that I couldn't control. And for a very long time, I mean, it was always something that I really couldn't control. I just didn't recognize it. And in my college years, it just got, I remember my IBS got much better and I was able to eat, but I remember making conscious decisions of restriction. Mm. I, I remember very consciously you know, I started to obsessively write down numbers. It probably freshman year, I started to, I just thought I could, you know, what if I got down to this number? Like, maybe I could do that. And then I did. And then it was, yeah, but maybe I could get down to this number. And I did. And then it just kept going down. And it happened with, and then it started to, I remember when I bought my first scale. And that's when those numbers started to become really important. And I just remember looking at, I, I just remember thinking when I hit this number, I'll, I'll be happy. Like I'll stop and I'll stop restricting and I'll just, I'll just be, I'll just eat what I want. I remember hitting that number 
And I remember thinking, oh, but you know what? Like, I, like, but maybe just a little lower, a little lower and then I'll stop. And that continued for years and it never, ever stopped. And I remember when I was in treatment, treatment meaning I was in partial hospitalization for a while. And I remember hitting the lowest number I've ever hit. And I remember thinking I could go lower. And then I remember thinking at that moment, I'm going to do this till I die. This is never going to stop. And that was scary because it really was, it was never going to stop. Didn't matter how low that number was. Wow. And that realization happened while you were already in treatment. Yeah. So while I was in college and it really started to kick in, I was very fortunate enough to have friends point out to me, like, we think you have a problem. And I, rem- and I consciously remember being like, I don't have a problem. It's fine. And, you know, please just focus on yourselves. Don't focus on me. And I remember the behavior started to be much more intense and I remember just being, getting more and more and more lonely and more and more depressed. Those years were just so, so terribly lonely and so terribly isolating because all I was thinking about was food. Every, like, every moment of the day was dedicated to food. It was obsessive and it takes away all of your other thoughts, it, it is a constant just stream of, of thoughts about food. And it's, it, it's very, it can be very odd to people because for a restrictive, somebody with anorexia or somebody with another restrictive type of eating disorder, it can feel like very confusing because all you really are thinking about is the, the, the tiny bit of food that you are going to give yourself or the the meal that you are going to give yourself and being so obsessed with that and so much fear around that. And I just remember, especially for me restricting, it was all the moments in between actually eating were terribly painful because I was, I was starving. And I just remember looking at the clock being like, no, uh, you're going to eat at this time and this is what you're going to have. And just really staring at that clock being like, please, please, when is it time? When is it time? And that's how, that's how my days were for years. Just when is the time when I can eat dinner? And then the, the immense loneliness of the last bite and just being like, I have to do this all over again. And it was, it, it was just that pattern, that cycle over and over and over again. I I just wasn't there for those years. And I just, as a person, I just, I wasn't there because my body was starving. And so my brain had started to kind of deplete itself, which is what happens when you don't get enough fat. And I was so focused on this eating disorder. I was just a shell of a person. I really was. I didn't, at the time I was just like, I'm fine. And, and I'm very strong because not everybody can do this. This is something that makes me feel very, very strong because I'm doing something that not everybody can do. And that was a big, it becomes a self-worth thing, which is, is also very scary because then you start basing your self-worth on this behavior that is very, very detrimental to your health and trying to find how you're worthy in any other capacity becomes very, very difficult. 
So I just remember those years, and it was really two years, the last two years of college when I was, I was noticeably sick. I noticeably be meaning that my friends could tell that I was restricting, that I was just not present. And plus I was probably, like, if I think back, I was probably cranky as fuck, man. I was hungry. Like, and I was just, like, and I was probably, like, not a very nice person to be around. Because uh, I was, I was not mentally well. And I was just trying to survive. I really was. I was really just trying to survive the best way I knew how. And this eating disorder was serving me, like, very well. And that's the hard thing with coming to terms with that is is kind of having the knowledge that the eating disorder really does serve a purpose. It lets you know it's there to help you at first. It's really there to get you through things. Unfortunately, it helps you get through some things, but then it also kills you. So it's really, it's it's not a, a long-lasting type of, like, coping mechanism. Right. So um, just to clarify that, it's there, it's employed to help you, right? As a disorder... It sounds like something that, that we choose, or I guess it's a question, like, do we, do we bring it in? Is it a choice? Is it something that we are leaning into because we know it's going to help us in some way versus it does help us in some way? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think it's important to clarify that. Sure. Sure. So the, the choice, it really like, Again, for this is just from my experience. It, you are making a, a choice for engaging in the behavior, but at some point it becomes uh, it becomes a behavioral addiction. So you're not it doesn't feel like you're in control anymore. It mm-hmm. feels like you are so out of control and this thing is just is so strong that you don't have a choice. Right. Okay, so a couple of things is this an addiction? And also, can you define, you know, what an eating disorder is for us and maybe what the difference is between a behavioral addiction and another addiction? Sure. So, uh, to tell you the truth, I, I had to look this up as well because I knew it was a behavioral addiction. And for the community that's listening out there, first of all, this is just my experience. And I encourage you, if you think that you have any signs, if you think that this may be in your head, if you, if you even have a whim of, Hey, this, this kind of sounds familiar. I would encourage you to go to professional resources to help. We're going to put links in the show notes to some places that you suggest. Yes. Perfect. Because the prerequisites for trying to, or I should say kind of the checklist of an eating disorder is very large. There's because there's different there's there's different subcategories of eating disorders mm-hmm. and I would just fully encourage people that if you do think that you may have a problem or somebody has mentioned something to you or you just feel that you are controlled by by obsessive thoughts of looks, food, weight, beauty standards then I would fully encourage you to go to one of those resources and and seek like professional medical help. So that's my fr- that's my first caveat. Behavioral addictions from my understanding, let me go over the differences really quick. So addictions, alcohol, drugs, some sort of substance that you ingest and then your brain gets gets used to that chemical compound or not used to, I should say, but gets addicted to that 
to that substance. So the brain can react to behaviors as much as it can to substances. So behavioral addictions, what falls under behavioral addictions can be gambling, shopping, and eating disorders definitely oh. fall into this into this category. So the sexual addiction and love addiction fall in that category too. I'm wondering. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, so it's a compulsion for some kind of reward for a non-substance related behavior that has negative consequences for your life. So the addiction, the addictive part is, is still kind of there. They've done, they've done some studies showing that, you know, and there, there's a lot of research. So again, I would, um, you're going to get different views on this topic, but there's research that shows that eating disorders are very, very, very much like a, a substance addiction in certain ways, just as behavioral addictions can fall under there as well. The recovery methods differ in approach. That That's where that gets kind of very important. You can't treat uh, an eating disorder as the same as you would an alcoholic because the the drug of choice per se is not something that you can live without so in terms of eating disorders you can't just say okay you can't can't deal with food anymore you have to deal with your drug or you have to deal with that but in moderation so the recovery for that tends to be very not to say alcohol recovery is not complicated but there's a lot of moving parts in eating disorder recovery, which makes it especially confusing and difficult and, and, and very, it's, it can be a long journey. It takes, you know, I, I keep hearing the statistic of, you know, five to seven years, five to eight years for recovery. And that is just an average. It's going to differ for everybody, but it is not a, a short-term kind of thing because you're dealing with so many deep-rooted components. And one of those components is self-worth, self-love, and dealing with eating disorders also have very close connection to trauma. So it's unearthing that trauma and, and dealing with those events or those situations. And that can take a, uh, that can take a hot second. Right. Like any, any kind of healing because yeah. you're healing the whole person, which right. this was a, well, coping mechanisms usually come into play when we aren't dealing with our whole self. Would you agree? I would a thousand percent agree. Well said. Yeah. Thank you. So I want to be mindful of your time and you brought up the idea of recovery. And I know that, you know, as long as you've been my friend, I know that this process, like you said, it's a process and it, like any process I've ever been a part of, it continues to change and doesn't necessarily disappear whenever quite done. It just gets better. Sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes it's different. I know that you've done a lot of healing in the time that since then and the time I've known you. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to now. And I, I want to ask you if this situation that we're in at the moment with global pandemic and isolation and being quarantined. And you talked about isolation in relation to your experience specifically with this during your, the height of your eating disorder is I'll just start with, you know, what is, what's it like for you now? And is it, are you being affected by the state of affairs? So thank you for asking that. Um, <laughs> I, 
what's very funny is when whenever I have a, a life event now that I recognize as like, this is a major change and I'm going to be going through things emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that just for me, my, my, my flag goes up as, you know, just be aware of your thoughts at this time. Be aware of how you're, you know, be just aware of your habits and things you, uh, and things just noticed kind of. And I, and the hilarious thing to me is, you know, I think, you know, there are times when I'm like, I am good. I'm great. I'm like this recovery journey. I am along it. I'm here for it. I am so strong. And none of those, like all of those things are true. Like they are very true. I also laugh when, <laughs> when I recognize certain behaviors that are like, that's definitely my eating disorder right there. And I didn't even see that. So this this particular situation has been has been very like it's been very difficult i've i noticed myself slipping back into habits that i was just like wow i have not even had these thoughts for so many years and it's not you know in my recovery where i'm at it's not it it can take it can take a second again you get like i feel like i get you know punched back the great thing is i have I have had to deal with getting back up so many times that I am, I am used to the getting back up, but the process doesn't really, you know, at least from my experience, it's never an easy thing to get back to, you know, I appreciate my body. I, I love, you know, I love my body. I'm grateful for everything that, and really taking that in to be a core belief. So I, I, you know, I've been engaging in, I found myself engaging in behaviors that are, that are eating disorder behaviors, but different from, from what I'm used to. And I've had urges that are different from what I've, what I'm used to. I again, feel so very fortunate in that I am educate. I have this education now to say, okay, I, I can pause and recognize it. And, and then ask the next very important question of what's really going on with me. Mm-hmm. What like, okay, I want to do this, but underneath there, what am I feeling? And underneath that, like, what do I need? And what are some core beliefs that are coming up in me? And it's kind of the same ones that keep, you know, bubbling up imposter syndrome. Like, who do I think I am? Like to heal anybody? Who do I think I am to be an artist? Like, like who, who am I as a person? Also like getting older has, there's another wave of that now that I, you know, that I'm dealing with just as getting older as a woman of, you know, now I'm aging. Now everything's, everything's sag. I don't, what the fuck is that? Like change again. Right. And so it's, it's still dealing with the, the acceptance and the love and, and seeing beauty in it. That's also just been very hard. And this isolation has been extremely difficult because there's, it feels like the outside world, what we're reaching to is, um, you know, we are, we've gotten very far in, in beauty standards. It's really, really beautiful to see living now that more, more women are embracing just their beauty and that it's, it's more that, that people are just out there just really owning it and giving examples to others to, you know, that, that we are inundated with that, but we are also miles and miles away 
from, I, f- I feel like where we need to be to start showing younger women as well, just cultural beauty standards. I've seen so many diet ads, you know, since this pandemic started of, you know, at home workouts and new diets that you can try. And, you know, that you, it's, it's this thing of, is that trick? I'm, I'm curious if that's triggering on so, social media to see things like that. For me, it, that has, it's made me angry. Not, not to say that like, it's, it's not great to work out and to be healthy. I think the diet ads or the, uh, those, those are just, I get angry at those. Um, that that makes sense. Yeah. Cause it really is feeding into a culture right now that is so vulnerable. That's what, that's, I think what makes me angry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Cause I've in, in this process of releasing this piece, uh, in releasing chains, I, I always remember when I, when I was really, really, really in, um, in deep with my eating disorder, I remember first of all, thinking that it was impossible. I was never going to, there's, uh, there was, I've tried so hard to get out of this. I tried so hard. I tried uh, what I thought was everything and I could still not get better. And it's, you know, that place happens for many, many sufferers. It's a very, very deadly, deadly disorder. It's morbidity rate is, you know, the, the second highest morbidity rate besides opiate addiction. Really? So, and, and yeah, and one of one in five deaths from anorexics is suicide. And I can completely see why that is. I was, I was a thousand percent at that place many times where it was just like, this is never going to be over. This is never going to get better and there's no way out. And it's just, you're in a, you're in a torturous situation over and over and over again. I remember being in that place and thinking if I can, number one, if I ever get out of this, I can do anything, anything. (laughs) And number two, if I ever get out of this, I just hope that I can just help somebody else. I just hope that I can help somebody else and help somebody through this time and give a piece that like those artists showed me like a a piece of just a raw piece of this is how it is. It's not pretty. It feels like shit. It's very scary. But that kind of, I see you of, I I know, I know what that is. You are not alone. You, you are never, ever, ever alone in this, no matter how deep and dark and hopeless it feels. It is, that is the disorder. It does that very well of making you believe that, but recovery is a thousand percent possible. And my goal is just to bring an awareness to, to the community itself, but to also the community who doesn't know what an eating disorder is like. It's very confusing for, for people who don't know what that mental state is like. And it's very hard to help a friend in recovery because there's very, there's very little you can do very, very little. All you can do is listen, understand, and, uh, and focus on that person rather than their disorder. And so I also wanted to create a piece to let people know, Hey, this is, this is what it's like. This, this idea of personifying this, the disorder, first of all, which is an amazingly helpful exercise for those suffering. If you haven't done it, I would fully encourage you to do it. What would that process look like for someone to get started in that? So the first thing to do is, is to try to picture your eating disorder, try, trying to personify it as a person. What does that person look like? What does that person sound like? It, It doesn't have to be a person. It can be, it can be whatever. It can be whatever 
personifies or or gives you an object to be like, that's my eating disorder in its whole. And then trying to give a voice to that. Because what what is very, very confusing is when you can't hear that voice apart from your own. Your own thoughts become, it, it, your eating disorder and your own thoughts are just one voice. That's when it gets really dangerous. So the big thing in recovery is to try to hear that eating disorder voice and then your own voice. So that you can start to identify what thoughts are, are harmful and what thoughts are going to carry you through and that are true. And that divide really kind of shifted. It really kind of opened up my healing process. I have a very, uh, it sounds crazy. Well, like, it sounds very crazy. Like, but you know when it works? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm fine with it. We talk about that exact thing for a lot of a lot of things here. We talk about it with fear. We actually talked about it in the other interview I did in this series with Julia Freed, where we talked about what to do with fear. And it's the exact same exercise, actually. And it's really powerful. And I'm, I'm really glad you said that in such a clear way, because it's true. It's really understanding how to bring awareness in. And that's a great exercise to start bringing awareness in, because you can now that we can see it, you can hear it, like you said, it comes, it's like outside of you now, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And then being able to differentiate the voices, like you said, is, is a huge, powerful shift people can experience with practice, I'm sure. And thank you for that. It's not, um, it's not crazy. People should try it. We can, it's applicable to a lot of things, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to ask you where people can find you, where they can follow you on social media, or if there's a website they can go get you at. Yes. So my, please find me. I would love, I would love to talk to, I would just love to talk to people. Again, my whole thing is if you've been affected by this, I just, I'd love to hear your story. And if you do need help, uh, again, I would fully encourage you to go to the resources that are linked and to, to get help from a therapist or a medical professional, please, please, please get help. Even if you think that like, maybe I do just go ahead and just maybe reach out and get help. So where you can reach me is Instagram at Kyle East music, my website, kyleeastmusic.com. I am on Spotify, iTunes, all those good things. And the music video is on YouTube. So if you Yay. just go to Kyle East, all one word, K-Y-L-E-A-S-T, and then Chains, you can see that music video. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on, Barcy. This has just been, I, I just appreciate the platform. I appreciate you holding space for me just to tell my story. And yeah, I'm just very grateful for you. You've oh. always been a rock. So thank you for helping me in my recovery. You really have. Oh. You really, really have. So thank you. That means so much to me. And I'm so grateful to have you here today as well. I think that hearing your story for the first time in this way myself was was really enlightening and helped me really understand it on another level and I know it's valuable to others and it's not easy to be that vulnerable and talk about these things that are so painful and have been such a big part of your life for so long and right now things are even harder to continue to stay in that vulnerable place so thank you for 
having the strength to come here today and do this with me and, and be able to share. So I appreciate you so much. And you know, I love you. I love you too. You make it real easy, man. Your voice is very soothing. <laughs> <laughs> very soothing voice. You're, you're very kind. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. You're welcome. Thank you, Barcy. Shackles worn, skin and bone, life sentence in this cage with a beast inside who is left untied, whose hands are soothing as they sting with this voice that lies. Lights were on Moments gone